0: To make a tax-deductible donation or learn more about becoming a station underwriter, use the donate page on our website, wrfalp.com, or send a check to WRFA Radio, 116 East 3rd Street, Jamestown, New York. Or you can call 716-664-2465.
1: We have in the studio with us today Chautauqua Watershed Conservancy's Conservation Director, Toan Linders. Thanks for coming in.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me again.
1: Yeah, so it's we're talking on a Tuesday. We're both saying it feels still like Monday, but uh, you've been very, very busy. And uh, I wanted to check in with you after the presentations you had done to the Jamestown City Council in September requesting funding for this phase two of the work you've been doing on the Chattahoochee River. Wish they passed. So mm-hmm. we're, we're, I mean... Let's get a quick update first. you know what where are things right now with sure. the various projects? Sure,
0: yes, yeah, so <clears throat> as you probably remember, um last year we spent a big part of the year, spring and early summer, um, <clears throat> with the help of ARPA funding allocated by city council to um essentially tackle decades of backlog of deferred maintenance in the Shacoin River, um, you know woody debris, trash, just all kinds of stuff that had accumulated. <laughs> excuse me here accumulated in the river that created blockages created flooding um, created places in the river where the river actually branched jumped out of its normal bed and created new channels to go around these blockages that were so huge so massive that the river just could not go through it anymore Um, and a lot of it in parts of the river that just don't see the light of day literally they're just in these sort of underserved neighborhoods in the back of industrial complexes places where um the river is not that visible but um i'm always looking at the river with the same mindset that you know all the effort that's going towards the shadow river in the downtown area or even by extension stockwell lake it's the same water right it's the same exact water body the shadow river is essentially the outflow of stockwell lake so it's It's a linear, maybe more urbanized, industrial (laughs) version of Chautauqua Lake, but it's same water quality, um, same challenges, but in in my mind also the same um, degree of opportunity there. Um, We just need to allow ourselves to see that and, and work towards that. But to go back again to last year's work, this was really very much needed maintenance that had been not done for so long that it was creating issues to the point that neighborhoods were flooding people's backyards were flooding every year and you know not just inches of water we're talking feet of water um there were several businesses whose foundations had been completely exposed by the river because the river had been scouring along the outside walls of the businesses just waiting for something to collapse or start leaking um so all of that was removed last year essentially working um from what's Generally called by the DC the mean high water line. That's sort of you know, the bed of the river. So, where the, the river sort of can go up to on an average high water mark. Um, so, below that line is essentially what we call the riverbed. So, we cleared that out, um, <clears throat> had some amazing crews out there. Um, we we're able to use the Warner Dam actually to move some of the lumber. So, we were able to actually use, just like in the old days, um, the river to actually move the lumber to places where we can safely and, and easily pick it out so that we wouldn't have to do a lot of damage to the environment, picking places, collecting points where crane crews could just lever leverage the stuff out, the, the lumber out of the river and places that are cut up and floated down. Um, so I think for the first time in decades, maybe 40, 50 years, by, next, by last summer, the, the shadow coin was actually back in its original path. And it was actually interesting to see what the original path was. Because in some places, uh, the new channels that had formed were so big and so wide, we couldn't even tell where the river really originated, which, which were the original paths and which were the new ones created by blockages. Um, um, additional work was done um, with some invasive species along the river as well. And I had at the time also a big grant out, a state grant, in hopes of doing some bank restoration projects, which unfortunately did not receive the funding that we had hoped. Because I think the the project was just too big. Like most of these projects, when people apply for these kind of grants, um, you know, they're very they're, they're a site, they're a site, not a city. <laughs> so we were looking at the river as a whole, um, looking at about three and a half miles of the river from the Warner Dam downstream all the way to the city limit to Tiffany Avenue. Um, So, fingers crossed, we put the grant application back in again this year. Um, But fortunately, with help of city council and funding allocated, we've been able to actually chip away at our wish list of things that were in the original grant application um, and did a lot of preparatory work so that the, the current state grant ask is actually much more feasible. It's much more focused because a lot of the work that we wanted to do last year actually ended up getting done through different funding mechanisms. So... Fast forward to 2023, um, even though the river was nice and clean last year, we're still dealing with living organisms or dead organisms in this case. And a lot of times if they're trees, right, they're do- they don't do what we want them to do. Um, so even though the river bed had been cleared below the high water mark line, um, a lot of trees were still left standing above the high water mark on the banks. And the banks are a little trickier because... Um, the reason why we work below the mean high water mark is that that's state property. The, the The river proper is actually owned by the people of New York. It's not owned by anyone in particular. So, having permits from the state to work in there allowed us to do the entire river. As soon as you leave the water, as soon as you get above those mean high water marks, you have to deal with individual landowners. And we're talking hundreds of different landowners in the three and a half miles of an urban environment, of course. Um, a lot of that is city property so that were helped because we're obviously working with the city of Jamestown um, but we're, we're back at it again um, fortunately with funding from city council again um, because we're still dealing with um, trees that have fallen since last year um, emerald ash borer has left dead trees everywhere everywhere um, all the small stuff the branches and the tops are gone but a lot of what we're seeing right now is full-size trees coming down, and of course the river's at the bottom of the hill, so tree falls down, trees roll down, guess where they end up. Um, So we've had some blockages that have sprung up in the last few months, Um, but more importantly, um, I think my main pitch to city council was that I wanted people to be proactive in terms of maintenance, not do what we ended up having to do last year and wait for decades before you finally try to fix a problem that should have kind of been you know, annual maintenance. Um, but get ahead of these things, and it's just so much more cost efficient doing it that way. So we've identified about 130 trees along that same stretch of the river um, between the Warner Dam and Tiffany Avenue that are at risk of falling in the river and they have the potential to create blockages um, that are leaning that might benefit from just some pruning. And might be fine if we can actually do that now um, and also some additional material that has calmed down and caught up in places um, bridge abutments and such are notorious for catching logs and, and debris so we're just cleaning those out again so we started yesterday again crews are back out again um, and we're hoping to get all of the work done in the next few weeks hopefully before we have a lot more rain, um, and also before hopefully the Warner Dam opens up, because that will actually change the water levels in the river. Um, Not that we couldn't work with that, but it just makes things just exponentially more complicated.
1: And have have you received a date for when the dam is anticipated to open?
0: As far as I know, the anticipated date is October um, 20th still. Um, But it's my understanding that County Executive Wendell has a request out to the state, to the DEC, who regulates the settings of the dam, uh, who authorizes the settings of the dam, um, to leave the dam closed for another 10 days. Um, As you all know, it's been a really, really dry spring and summer. Um, We had over two inches of rain last weekend, but it's the first time I don't even know how long it's been. So water levels are very, very low. Um, the Warner Dam was actually closed early by the request of our county executive this year uh, to purposely hold back water upstream from the dam, essentially Stockwell Lake. Um, I believe it closed on April 18th, which usually closes May 1st. Um, and when I say close, it means that the, the gates of the dam close which then has the effect that it holds back water upstream from there. So water that's flowing out of Stockwell Lake um, can't. It stops at the dam, essentially. So the water levels above the dam are much, much higher than they are below the dam, essentially leaving the Shattercoin River at a minimal flow. It's, it's a regulated minimal flow. Um, the Shattercoin River, by state mandate, has to run at least 60 CFS, 60 cubic feet per second. Um, because that's the minimal discharge level needed to, um, to safely dilute affluence from the water treatment plant in Falconer. So there's always a minimum flow in the Shattercoin River at 60 CFS. Um, but this entire year, it's my understanding that maybe barring some storms where the doors temporarily preemptively open just to get ahead of potential flooding, the, the river has really been running at its minimal allowable flow since mid-April.
1: Hmm. and and it's interesting because i rem- <clears throat> i think was the end of March is when we had a really large uh storm um that dropped i get maybe three to five inches depending on where you were around Chautauqua county um mm-hmm. of rain so yeah i i imagine probably that helped initially <clears throat> in some ways it, it wasn't great for the for you know neighborhoods that had some flooding issues but um probably that but um, still I didn't realize that it had it had shut that early um and thinking about you know there's that I'm wondering, does the water level remain low? You're doing work, a lot of work on lower Chattercoin, mm-hmm. but above the dam, you also had work planned within the basin, and I didn't know about the water level, how that affected whether you wanted the higher level in the in the basin. And where I'm talking about is be um, where the BPU is and behind the Comedy Center. For folks who are not familiar, that basin area you had planned um, a variety of work on the North Shore.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's that's still scheduled to happen this fall sometime. Um, but you're absolutely right; that's it's very much contingent on when the dam actually opens. Um, the plan is, and the funding is already in place to um, to restore, to rebuild, and restore um, three bank sections of the Chattahoochee River. Um, so, if you've been down to the basin, you know that on the south side. Um, on the BPU side of the basin, there are these beautiful living shorelines they are all planted with native plants. Um, there's stormwater systems built in to capture stormwater to prevent future erosion. The erosion that actually caused about 15 linear feet of the bank to just wash away, just fall into the basin. Uh, when, when I first started that project, um, <clears throat> the actual walking path right behind the BPU going towards Panzerella Park, in some places was already caving in like the actual blacktop was already undercut by the river that's how close the water was the, the actual path was about to disappear into the river um, but fortunately through efforts with the county some county grants as well as some state grants we were able to actually rebuild the banks they build built it out another 15 to 20 feet um, and stabilize it in a way so that that same problem which was essentially just runoff just rainwater running off Jones Hospital Hill and Steel Street all those parking lots around there just running across the surface and saturating the banks that were only planted with lawn. And lawn only roots maybe an inch, inch and a half deep. So um, rainwater and gravity was all it took to just gradually have these banks collapse a little bit at a time. And if you just let it go for a couple of years, you lose hundreds of metric tons of sediment, which goes into water, which then of course is negatively impacting the water quality again. But you're losing land. You're losing. You're losing your banks right there. Now, the issue directly opposite from there is that because the dam, the Warner Dam, is kept closed every summer to maintain Shasta Lake at a very specific level, like down to a quarter inch of like height, water height. Um, The water is always sitting exactly at the same place, so the surface of the water in the basin always touches the banks exactly at the same spot. Now the restored side on the south side has armored rocks there to make sure that that doesn't impact um, the south side shoreline. But the north side doesn't, it's been caving in for so long that it's just sediment, it's just sand and it's just urban fill that's been there for decades, centuries sometimes. and there's not much growing on it. There's a lawn on the top again that roots an inch and a half down. And there's a bunch of really sad-looking, really scary-looking trees there that unfortunately are every single one of them is at risk of falling over. They're all growing diagonally out of the bank or just waiting for the next rainstorm or windstorm to just knock them into the basin. And we're hoping that won't happen because every one of those trees will take with it probably a pickup truck-sized load of sediment when these root balls come up um so the plan is to rebuild that bank uh because of the water level having been maintained at exactly the same level for decades every time the water dam opens it's almost like you know when you pull the plug in your bathtub and you get this like little like vortex going that's essentially what happens in the basin when the water dam opens it will eventually lower your lake if you leave the dam open long enough but it takes a long time it'll take days you know it'll take a week before you even notice a difference um but The shorter more proximal areas right above the dam will notice it immediately so within half an hour the basin will be mostly dry so the speed at which that water sucks out of that basin um, actually brings like sucks with it the sediment that's been super saturated right at the water level so every time a dam opens you have this sort of vacuum effect where it sucks the sediment out of the bank at exactly the same height and this linear line like right on the water line so over years decades perhaps that bank underneath those big trees is literally undercut three to four feet there's just the trees are literally hovering <laughs> over nothing so um obviously that's not sustainable There are a lot of plans there's a lot of grant money coming towards the basin to redevelop that but we can't just start redeveloping this basin and have you know economic activation happening tourism activation happening if Any one of those trees can take the entire bank with it or the whole bank could just cave in by itself because it's undercut. So the plan is is to to remove those trees and um, rebuild the bank and hopefully build it back out as far as we can. There's a little bit of a shelf in front of the bank where the bank used to be. We're hoping that we can actually add some additional real estate to the bank so we have some more space to work with as well. Um, stabilize it in a very similar fashion to the southern side you know we have to use rocks to make sure that that interface where the water will be kept every summer is not going to impact the banks again going forward Um, but hopefully sloping it back and planting it with native vegetation different plants that root at different depths so that we have something that keeps everything stable there Um, we've been kind of joking about the vegetation that's on the north shore right now the Just about the only thing native growing there is poison ivy, (laughs) all the trees, all the plants are all invasive species or unwanted species that don't really contribute to the health of the bank, to the health of the river, and honestly don't really make it any prettier. Uh, We have black locust trees which are native but act like invasives around here that um, when they're little, have these like one and a half inch spikes on them which is not the greatest thing to have growing when you take your little kids for a walk out there. Um, So there there are a lot of ways to improve that. But a little word of caution, we will be taking all these trees down. So it will be a little stark contrast for a little while because all those trees that are there right now will all have to be removed. And, again, if we can remove them in a controlled fashion without them actually doing additional damage to the banks, it will actually, like, make our lives much easier when we try to restore everything afterwards.
1: Now with the tree removal, are you leaving, like, the roots in place? Are you going to grind, or or to allow those to still hold in the bank, or are you taking out the entire tree, grinding down and everything?
0: If the trees are still alive, we may leave the roots in place. A lot of it will depend on how far, how much more um, real estate we can add to the banks. If these. Root balls are right on the edge, and we know they will die and eventually decay and leave a hole. Then we're better off removing the root balls at that point and making sure we have something that's there for the longer term. Um, we do plan to, uh, to plant new trees there immediately. So, And we're, we're looking for the largest trees possible um, so that at least it will look vegetated pretty quickly again. Um, Given the timing of it all, it'll likely not be until springtime before we can actually plant anything. We'll do the stabilization this fall. But to actually go back to your earlier question about timing of it all, the dam is sort of a critical piece because not only are we restoring that section of the bank, but we're also restoring both sides of the outflow of the dam, between the dam and the Main Street Bridge. Um, There to the bank, what actually keeps the river in place are essentially um, old foundations of old factories, Um, which are not even tall enough to hold the water in during normal high water, let alone during flood stages. The water actually goes right over top of those, what looked like retaining walls, but they're really just old foundations. Um, So every time water goes over that, it'll pool behind those walls, so you have puddles of water um, separated by a wall from the main river, and those puddles of water will seep through the cracks and leave big holes and those have been patched in a sort of traditional sense for forever by just dumping a truckload of rocks in it. So if you ever look at it, it's just it's a slopey area with a few trees, it's lawn, and then you see all these big piles of rocks that are sort of dumped into holes on either side of the bank. Um, they're band-aids. It, it, they're fine to fill a hole, but it doesn't actually fix the problem. So while we have equipment mobilized anyway, we'd like to just redo those in the same fashion so that... Because it's all all part of the riverwalk system, right? Like we've got walking paths on both sides. It's kind of our little business card for downtown Jamestown, too. We want want to make sure it looks nice. We want to make sure that it's sustainable. We want to make sure it's safe um, and just do all that work here. But that, because both of those sections are on either side of the dam, um, it will require a little bit of um, juggling in terms of the timing because as long as the water Dam is closed to halt water back in Chautauqua Lake, the water is high in the basin which makes it harder to work on that side. But the water is really low right now um, on the downstream side. So ideally, we would do that work first. And then as soon as the dam opens, we'll switch to the other side. And the basin will just, the water level will just drop in there. Um, and that will make it much easier for us to see where the shelf is, where we can place the rocks so we're not working underwater, for example. That's the, essentially we're trying not to work underwater. Right. So it's a good place because we, it's, like how often do you have a chance to do that right you can just sure. literally like turn the water off and actually work when you need to so that's that's pretty cool
1: yeah and when the you're calling it the calling card of jamestown i think it's funny if you think back back and i've seen the old photos of it i didn't grow up here well I, and this was way before i i, I would have <clears> been born anyway that before they did the um the urban removal of brooklyn square uh that uh, the chattacoy river was not considered a feature it was not considered a, a calling card mm-hmm. it was something that they built over yep. and and think about how different like I, I i didn't realize myself that you know these what looked like retaining walls were actually former pieces of industry down in uh, along the riverside but it makes sense now to, to hear that and uh, and understand that that's what it was but yeah because i i know Over Main Street, where Main Street Bridge was, there were buildings like all the way across that. And I didn't, I haven't seen pictures where I really, where I recognize where the river was covered or not covered, or at least, you know, had buildings right up against it. To the point that you you know you couldn't walk by it. You, well, I guess if you went into those factories, you could or businesses, you could have gone to the back and looked at the windows at what was down there. But yeah, it's it's, it's such a change, and and we've seen this happening yeah. in many other cities and you know towns and stuff where they're recognizing the value of waterfront in their in their municipalities and how. You know it's something to be protected and to be enjoyed
0: yeah and it's that's what it is it's waterfront right that's the magic word everywhere everybody wants to have waterfront and we have it and we've been historically ignoring it um so i think we have another chance here i think that i keep saying this I, i i truly think that that river well i know that that river historically was a big if not the biggest driver for the economy of jamestown and i really think that in the future that can still be that but in a totally different way this time around.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And to go back to your earlier point I', I I'll never remember I'll never forget um, a conversation I had with former mayor Sam Teresi, who told me that when the buildings were removed um, near the mainstream bridge Main Street bridge um, and the bridge actually emerged from you know being wedged between buildings, nobody even knew what it looked like. They never knew it was such a beautiful structure. Because it was completely wedged in apparently between buildings that were spanning the river. It was just a passageway between tall buildings and the river was underneath somewhere. You couldn't even see it.
1: Hmm. And I think some of the buildings that are like you're right by the Main Street Bridge, I think there's still some viaducts underneath for mm-hmm. raceways. But uh and I, I forget which buildings exactly. I think did you <clears throat> did you see them yourself when you I did.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. There were actually two raceways. Um Leaving from what's now the basin, the basin was essentially a sorting area for logs coming off Shetaka Lake, being floated down. Um, and some of the um, hazards that we removed earlier this year from the basin, um, these vertical pylons and, and tree stumps that were at the that were on what was once upon a time the the banks of the Shadowcoin before the basin was there. Um, we're tall enough that when the water levels were low in the basin, they were actually just a few inches below the water surface. So they're, they're hazards for um, recreational boaters. And now that people are kayaking and canoeing in the basin and on the coin all the time, it's just really dangerous. So we were able to remove those this spring as well, just to make the recreational use of that section of the river much safer again. Um, there's still a huge log at the bottom of the basin that we've purposely left there because I'm, I'm secretly hoping that at some point we're able to. Um, to raise that and preserve it so that we can actually have sort of a, a little tangible reminder of the old industries here the, the furniture industry and then the, the timber industry that used to be here um, it's well preserved in the mud and it's exposed to fear if you're near the basin sometime in the winter when the water is super low, usually January, February, you can see it. It just a little bit sticks out of the water. It's this monster log. I don't, I've not seen trees that size around here anymore. It's really impressive. But as soon as you take it out of the water and it's exposed to air, it'll start decaying. So if, if we ever get to that point, um, yeah it's gonna have to be well preserved but I can totally picture this you know sitting on a pedestal somewhere along the river with a nice slice in it and you know seeing all the, the earrings and trying to figure out how old this tree was and how long it's been down there and what all was happening in Chautauqua County at the time that's mm-hmm. pretty cool.
1: Mm-hmm. Some of the things you've been mentioning that you know, you've know, you planted uh, native species on the south basin mm-hmm. that you're intending to put them on the North Shore where there aren't any and think people have heard a lot about you know native plants and you know oh it's important that you have native plants in your yard but in in terms of the riverbank why are natives so much more important than like whatever is there right now
0: right yeah well natives are always good because they're supporting more than just you know the aesthetics right um you can find native plant species that are just as pretty as the ornamentals that we buy in whatever garden center you go to um but they're not just ornamental. They're an integral part of the environment here. And keep in mind that not only do we have waterfront property everywhere along the river, but we're also um, at the very top of the Mississippi watershed. We have incredibly clean water here. And the Chattahoochee River, in spite of its industrial appearance, is very healthy and supports a lot of life. Um, and we like to keep it that way, of course. So um, planting The entire riverbank with non-native invasive species is obviously not contributing to the health of the river. So that's one reason to actually have native species there. But it also adds interest to the river because it also brings in additional species that can survive there. You know, it's good for the fish if we have native plant species growing in the basin and growing in the rivers that provide cover for little baby fish. So you can actually keep these populations going. The turtles like that. Um, beavers and otters like to hide in it Um, butterflies, dragonflies it's just the river comes alive when you actually add that critical piece of of, uh, vegetation there but the other part of it is that um, retaining walls and old foundations are fine to keep your banks somewhat protected Um, sometimes if you have a lot of money and you build really big walls you can truly protect your banks there Um, but the the challenge with what we call hard armoring so using concrete or rock for example or steel retaining walls is that you're not really um fixing an erosion problem you're just moving it downstream you're just moving your erosion problems to the first property that doesn't have those kind of stabilization efforts so uh you can picture water just streaming along a bank and if you put a wall there you know it's not if it's a wall strong enough that the water won't erode through it Um, it'll just bypass that section of the river and as soon as it hits your neighbor who doesn't have the money to build a wall like that, their bank is just going to get the full impact of the water, the current at that point. So um, what's happened historically is that rivers, not just a shadow coin, but any river tends to be armored in that way where everybody does their own thing. Some people build steel retaining walls, some people build cement walls, some people don't have anything at all and just have lawn going right to the edge. And the, the banks sort of respond in different ways. And depending on how these armorings have been put in place, um, some more successful than others, the critical piece that tends to be missing often is vegetation. So you can armor a bank with large rocks and um, which if you want to see some examples, just walk between the pedestrian bridges downtown, you'll see the sections of the bank that have been armored on the north side with rock, but only rock. And then if you look on the south side, where the banks have been armored with rock, but also have a healthy vegetation cover growing on top of it, you'll see that the healthy vegetation cover is keeping the soil in place behind those rocks. Um, On the north side, where you only have rocks and maybe some lawn on the top, you'll see big holes right between the rocks where the sediment has washed out that was behind it. These rocks, when you stack them up, they're like Swiss cheese. There's holes in there, right? So when it rains, water will come down. It will percolate through the top of the soil. Um... Especially if it's only lawn, like I said, it only grows an inch and a half deep. So everything below that inch and a half just turns into mud, right? It's just nothing else holding it together anymore. And it seeps through these holes in the rocks. And if the rain, if there's a lot of water pressure behind it, it pushes it right out and leaves a big hole again. And then you end up in these situations like what I described earlier near the Main Street Bridge, where you get these large holes that you have to fill with truckloads of rocks every once in a while just because the holes just get that big. If there was vegetation growing that rooted deeper, then that would, um, you know, by definition, because it's rooting deeper, it's probably larger vegetation, it would actually absorb a lot of the water because that's what the plants need to grow, right? So the plants will actually absorb most of the water rather than having it sort of perk through the banks and through the walls. And the, the root masses are what actually keeps the soil together It binds everything together. Um, so you're, you're, in a way slowing down the water that's running off the hillsides and slowing it down just before it actually oozes back into the river. It either runs over the surface, if you don't have anything growing on the surface, if you just have concrete or blacktop, it runs over the surface and takes away all the contaminants and oils and whatever gets spilled on there, gets washed right into the river. So if you replace that with vegetation, you'll have a filter that will capture trash, it will actually absorb some of the chemicals, it will provide a filter uh, but also underground it does the same thing. The water that's actually perking through the soil will actually get either absorbed, taken in by the plants, or hopefully at least slow down so it doesn't create these big erosion problems when you have water rushing through loose sediment.
1: So it's not just erosion, then it's cleaning it. As well. It's so, cleaning what, it. so you're Absolutely. talking about, yep. you know, headwaters of the Mississippi is yep. we have a clean body of water and then you know, if it's cleaning this vegetation, then that's a better habitat. Exactly. And yeah. All around. So yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, and we're on the top, so we're we can't blame anybody else for contaminated water coming our way because everything that's in it is stuff that came in from our backyards. So yeah. um, it's our responsibility to make sure that we keep it that way, and mm-hmm. it's
1: in our best interest too. And, you know, on, conversely, you know, we talked about native plants, the invasive plants. You've been doing a, a lot of work on those. You, you removed, I, I forget how many tree of heaven you. Uh, did uh injections of to kill them and then remove them along the river and Mm -hmm. had worked with help with um jhs students but you're also i mean that that's still a problem that you're looking at trying to deal and it's even outside of the scope of your work with the city trying to see if you can do additional work uh near the basin with them
0: Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so um yeah the reality is that when you look at the urban environment that the shattercoin river goes through here in jamestown um the river itself on the water is very natural and very clean. The environment is not. It just has 100 plus years of abuse that we're kind trying to tackle. And it creates these conditions that are not necessarily the best for more sensitive plant species. Um, so just over time, just that's the, the types of soils, the type of sun exposure, the type of sort of harsh environment that, that exists in the city um, favors invasive species um and unfortunately one of the big ones the tree of heaven is one of these trees that grows where nothing else grows so in a way it's been good and a lot of times (laughs) a lot of times in the past um what we now consider invasive species were sometimes purposely planted sometimes even by our government to actually um stop erosion for the same reasons i just described because they're the the kind of plants that grow in environments where nothing else could grow um you know, 2020 20 hindsight, these are the kind of things that then get out of control and actually outcompete the native species, the more desirable species that we really wanted to have there. Um, so you you end up creating purposely or, or inadvertently these monocultures of species that are really hard to remove because they're really good. Like as a biologist, these are like the most successful things you can imagine. They're so good at surviving in places where nothing else can live. So you got to give them credit for that. But at some point, enough is enough. Like if that's all you have left then you will not ever have a chance to have more beneficial native vegetation growing there again. So um, it, it's, a, it's, an, it's an uphill battle because there's so much of it. There's so much of it. And there's so many different species. And new ones keep added nonstop. Um, but the tree of heaven is a particularly nasty one in that it it, it, it's, it grows exponentially. Um, it sucker sprouts from its roots. So once you have one tree... It grows and grows and grows seeds and drops seeds, and the seeds all have the potential to grow into other plants. And, of course, the seeds drop in the same kind of environment where the parent plant grows, which is already a place where nothing else grows, so it favors them again. But they also grow from their roots, so little ones will pop up near where the old ones are. Are um, And, in fact, they, um, their stress response is very, very strong, so even damaging or cutting uh A tree of having tree, a mature tree or an older tree uh, will lead to the removal of one tree, but it actually sends stress hormones into the root system and actually encourages more root suckers to actually grow up. So even people with the best intentions trying to remove trees that they recognize as something undesirable um, inadvertently might actually exacerbate the problem. But you can cut down one and you end up with 10 new ones growing out of the roots. so the challenge with a lot of these species is not so much that well they're just really successful and you have to figure out their life history and then you have to figure out how to best wear them out so you can truly get ahead of them um i know the city i know the parks department um they're they're constantly finding these things but the, the, the challenge for them is that you know they've got a million other things on their plates so whenever they're out there they're mowing somebody's plans down because they know they're invasive and they're undesirable and they need to go. But sometimes just mowing and mowing and mowing is not the most efficient way to do it. A lot of it's about timing. You really have to um, tackle specific species in specific ways at specific times. And last year we were very, very successful with the first round of treatment of tree of heaven. Um, I've never, ever seen an invasive species removal program be this effective. We almost like, near a hundred percent success rate um our contractors ended up treating well over 3,000 trees and um i've been going around all summer trying to find how many were left and if there's 20 left then that's the stretch yeah there's not not much left so it was it was a combination of timing and knowing when to treat them but also um perfect weather conditions to do it um in essence what you need to do with trees like that is kill the root system underground so that they don't have a chance to grow back from the roots again and we were able to actually treat them all last year just when the leaves were falling and it was still warm kind of like the conditions last week here where it was still warm the trees were still very much alive but they started to drop their leaves and you know how everything's looking pretty right now because the trees are all the leaves are changing right so the the leaf colors change because the trees are actually pulling resources from their leaves. They're pulling the chlorophyll, the green stuff out because that's what they need to to create energy again when next year the sun comes out after the winter. Um, so they're they're trying to store as much of their critical resources in their root system before they go dormant in the winter. And that's when so they they extract materials, chemicals, resources from their leaves, and then they turn really pretty. And then at that point, the tree has no use for them anymore because all the chlorophyll is gone. So um, then they fall off and the tree goes dormant. And then in the springtime, when the tree doesn't have any leaves yet, it has no ability to actually generate energy because there are no green leaves on it yet. So everything it does in the springtime to actually grow those leaves again has to come from its energy reserves, which are stored in the roots. So um, treating invasives, but especially tree of heaven, at the time when they're actually extracting these resources from their leaves and transporting them to their roots. If you add chemicals, toxins to that mix, they actually purposely get transported to the root system for the trees. So um, that's why it was so successful. Timing is everything right here. So the trees actually did all the work for us. They, They were injected with these chemicals that would kill the roots and they just sat in the root system all winter, just stewing away and killing the root system. So, um yeah hardly any of them came back we missed a few because there were just so many um so fortunately again um the city council again was supportive enough to help us stay with this problem because these are problems that don't just go away overnight they don't grow in overnight but they also don't go away overnight or not there's no silver bullet for these kind of things so regardless of how successful the first treatment was um there's still a few left um but more importantly um the trees have been here for years decades in some cases so they've been dropping seeds for years or decades so there's a seed bank in the soil so um so we're definitely seeing young ones growing back right now from seed um so that's kind of what we're targeting this fall still is to actually retreat the trees that didn't quite die the first time around um and then Try to treat as much of the new growth as possible before they get too big again. And then, unfortunately, there was one area in the city where we were not able to treat a tree of heaven last year. Right between Second Street and Third Street, on the steep banks of the railway tracks, um, it's all privately owned property owned by the railway company. And there's a couple hundred trees of heaven on there still. Um, so there's still an island of really dense, large tree of heaven right in the middle of the city. So in spite of all of them being gone, there's still a hot spot right there. And I'm working with a railroad company right now um, to hopefully treat those as well this fall. And then hopefully we can remove them this year. Uh, I'm actually part of the um, early detection network for uh, Spotted Lanternfly, because that's sort of the other side of the coin for tree of heaven, is that not only is it particularly nasty and um that it's difficult to get rid of. Um, it's also a magnet for spotted lantern fly, which is a, a bug that by the time it establishes somewhere, it just arrives in the millions and millions. And it's attracted to Tree of Heaven. It likes to um drink the sap of those trees. It's really soft, it's easy for them to get into. Um they reproduce on those trees as well but once they run out of tree of heaven they like to go to soft fruits and they really like grapes and apples and things like that so it's obviously not something that we would want around here because it would have really dramatic impacts on our on our agricultural efforts here um so another reason why that island of of tree of heaven in the middle of a city as far as i'm concerned needs to be going away but um last year right after i treated all of the tree of heaven um an early detection system was set up by the western new york prism the western new york partnership for regional invasive species management um they asked if i wanted to put some early detection traps out in jamestown to make sure that we can you find out if they're here or not and of course i just killed all of their target trees so (laughs) but um now with the the advent of having a few trees left on the railroad banks there i've had a trap on there for the last year and uh, i just checked it last week again so far we're still good knock on wood um but they're certainly getting closer, and it is it is a real problem, and it, it will be a real problem if those bugs get here. Um, the, the closest spots that are known right now is one site in Buffalo, where last year a few showed up, and this year they were there still. So this is the time of year where they're laying their eggs, so um, you're not going to see the bugs much longer, but the eggs will be plastered to trees and buildings and such. And Unfortunately, they seem to really like kind of, Smoother surfaces and apparently um, canvas coverings on 18 wheelers are a preferred place to put their eggs on. So you can imagine how these things just spread everywhere. Um, so uh, um, if we're completely able to get to avoid getting them here, I don't know. Um, but having removed their favorite food, I think is going to really have an impact on the size of population we might get. If anyone's been to New York City or Pittsburgh this summer, it's awful like entire sidewalks are just covered in these bugs entire buildings are covered in these bugs it's awful um so i'm still optimistic that we can avoid the worst of the worst and i'm really grateful that the city has been so helpful to actually help us be proactive here because it's it's i think it's uh, i'm optimistically seeing a real shift in how we're dealing with our environment and rather than constantly doing damage control which is really not very efficient and very costly um, i'm 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 really optimistic that we're seeing things changing a little bit that we're getting ahead of problems and preventing problems from happening so it's it's really encouraging
1: and Having worked with you in the past, you know, before I was here at WRFA, uh, one of the things I remember that was a challenge is that there were monies available through the county, through the occupancy tax that could be used for lakes and waterways, but that could only be used up to the Warner Dam. Mm-hmm. And the the trick was, and the, and the difficulty was, how do you fund projects for the lower Chattahoochee below the, the dam? And so when the city got that American Rescue Plan monies, that mm-hmm. was a beginning opportunity. And we learned at when you presented to City Council that cleaning up that Chattanooga River and the work you're doing may actually open the door, so to say, and not just opening it up the waterway, but opening the door to other funding, possibly.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, some other projects that we've been working on at the Watershed Conservancy is actually focusing on the, the county's major waterways. Um, so, Casadega Creek and Connemongo Creek. and um, Large sections of those combined form the Martin ECO waterway trail system. It's essentially a county trail, um, but it's two rivers, right? Um, the county historically has created a map of the waterway trail system and um, has a series of kayak launches, boat launches along those rivers. But very similar to the Shadowcoin River, um, then maintenance just became inadequate or non-existent. And on top of that, again, I, I keep saying this, but um, emerald ash borer changed everything. You know, having a quarter of our trees dead or dying and suddenly like rolling down the hills and ending up in often in the water or near the water has a major impact on the quality of the waterways. And and frankly, has created and is still creating some really dangerous situations in some places. Um, so the Chautauqua County actually. um Contracted with the Stockawaasha Conservancy to in two ways. I requested a uh, essentially a reserve fund to do uh, emergency um, repairs to the waterways because historically, when we have large tree falls or major damage in the waterways, um, either it doesn't even get noticed because it happens in the middle of nowhere somewhere, uh, but if people bring it to the county's attention, generally county legislature will eventually consider funding a repair job of some sort whatever is needed to actually fix the problem especially if these are uh, log jams or flooding issues or erosion problems near businesses or neighborhoods um, where people are truly directly impacted by this but the process is so time consuming that if you wait too long damage gets exponentially greater uh, just to give you an example we had a situation in falconer earlier this year where at the end of january uh, one tree, a big tree, came down and completely blocked the Shadycoyne River. And this is the end of January when the dam is still open and the river is flying. So there's a lot of water coming through there. Um, so to give you an idea, the Shadycoyne River, all summer, has been running, like I said, at 60 cubic feet per second, 60 CFS. At winter flood stage, it can run 14, 1,500 CFS. It is a very different river. Um I've been working in the Kanawango and Casadega Creeks the last few weeks and I'm just constantly eyeballing the high water marks on the trees around me which are about a foot above my head I'm (laughs) 6'2 so the water goes up 7 feet and it's terrifying it's absolutely terrifying like the the power of the water as it starts moving as material is terrifying and once the material gets jammed in and that kind of power needs to go around it or over it if your house or your backyard happens to be in the way not good um so the county was willing to actually start as a pilot this year a um, a form of a reserve fund where rather than having to deal with these kind of issues one at a time and making it really time consuming because that situation in falconer where the one tree went down it could have been a 10 to fifteen thousand dollar job to prevent any kind of damage from happening there but because of the time it took before we finally got to that we finally actually remedied it we haven't even actually stabilized the bank yet, but just to remove all the debris from the river, which happened about three weeks ago. Um, the whole project stabilizing all the damaged there will probably end up being a hundred and sixty, hundred and seventy thousand dollar job. So wow. it, it like became ten times more expensive by just waiting. And this is waiting while the river is as low as it is, as soon as the warner Dam opens, whenever this happens in the next few weeks. Um, that bank is going to wash away we lost probably 20 feet of bank and 20 feet of bank that is now threatening to um undercut the driveway of a major business and then would actually stop all of their trucks from getting in and out of the factory which is just not an option the project's still not even done we removed all the debris but we still haven't been able to actually get the permits or the money to actually stabilize it. we're looking at fifty or sixty thousand dollars just in rock alone just to stabilize the bank um, because the tree blocked the river the river couldn't go through the tree or over the tree and just went around it and just went straight for someone's driveway which happened to be a really active very busy business so these things can go and spin out of control really fast so having a reserve fund and being able to address these these issues really quickly um, certainly again in, in the terms of being proactive here you know, can prevent a lot of damage and can prevent a lot of really costly repairs and just save a lot of time. So, so we've been doing emergency repairs all year so far in random places where these kind of situations came up. But another uh, contract that was awarded to the Shetaka Watershed Conservancy was to actually revisit the Martin Cobb Waterway system um, to create a new master plan for the system to actually assess the whole system from the top to the bottom and see how much of it is really makes sense to activate um, in terms of recreational uses and how much of it is safe to actually activate in terms of recreational uses as well um, and then also built into that contract was um, 10 crew days to actually start removing some of these obstacles to make um, the waterways as, as fun and interesting and beautiful as possible for people to use out there um, so unfortunately um, bureaucratic wheels turn very slowly so the work that we were hoping to start in may um we weren't able to start until september um and since the martin Cobb waterway depending on how you define it is spanning almost 50 miles of river that's a lot of water to cover in no time at all and of course the weather is changing so i keep looking at these high water marks like i said and i'm not i don't want to be out there when the water goes up seven feet um so we've been out Actually trying to maximize the time that we have because the weather has been so great in the last few weeks. Um, And even though we don't have a full picture of the entire waterway system yet, I can already tell you that the tops are probably so clogged up with beaver dams and log jams that we're probably not going to try to open those for recreational uses. But... The bottoms, the, the the southern side, you know, coming up from the Pennsylvania boundary are gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And it just the kind of places that you wish people could come and see, it's so underutilized and so beautiful out there. So in, in order to maximize the limited time we had this year... Um, I started mapping at the Pennsylvania line going upstream, thinking that, you know, that's the biggest water where you have both Canawango and Casadega Creek and the Shaddy sort of in one channel. So it's the biggest water that's least likely to be completely blocked. See if we can at least start clearing that out so that we can at least by next spring have as much of the waterways open so we can start to encourage people to go actually out there and see it and enjoy it. Um, So we've been able to clear out just over 11 miles of the waterway so far. Um, but now we're getting into the really big stuff, the really big blo- blog jams and the really big blockages. So um, this is where we're going to have to find some middle ground between like what's actually manageable and what makes sense to activate. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous out there. The number of bald eagles I've seen in the last few weeks is just staggering, absolutely staggering. Um, we came across – there was a section in the southern uh, part of – Conawango creek where um a tree had fallen over and created a blockage and the tree is pointing right into the current and the current actually washed away a section of the bank and um i found uh, a huge mountain of uh, freshwater mussel shells which is most likely a native american uh, shell shellman like a shell mount it's it's some historical site that was buried underneath Several feet of dirt that happens to have just gotten washed away just because of a tree that fell over in one place. So um, I'm in contact with the Seneca Nation of Indians and waiting for some crew to come out and actually assess the site to see. But there's all kinds of amazing, amazing features out there that deserve to be seen and deserve to be enjoyed. Um, so I'm really looking forward to next year, hoping that we can extend the contract so we can get out there again once the water goes down in the spring and finish the mapping. We'll still continue some of the work while the water is still low. Uh, We'll do some drone surveys, too, in places that are hard to to navigate right now. Access is difficult. But the idea really is that we're looking for a way to also not just um, ecologically restore the rivers and keep them safer and healthier, but also to economically restore them in a way that people can actually use them as a draw for tourism. It's great for fishing and canoeing and kayaking and paddleboarding. It's just gorgeous out there. And the key thing really here is what you sort of alluded to is that... um, Since the Condawango Creek and Casadega Creeks are essentially county parks, um, they have dedicated funding. It's not a lot of funding, but there is some funding for maintenance. So if we can get those waterways or the parts of the waterways that we would like to actually keep open at a maintainable level, then they're taken care of through the county's budget, their maintenance budget. Um, The missing piece here is several miles of the Chatecoin River essentially the section of the Shadowcoin River from the Warner Dam to where it meets Casadega Creek on the other side of Faulkner. Um, because if we could open up that section of the shadowcoin to the point that it becomes kayakable and navigable, um, then you're connecting dozens of miles of county park, county blueways, county um, waterway trail to Shtaco Lake. And you're essentially connecting some of the biggest economic drivers right there through the Shadowcoin River. And that also, of course, then opens up opportunities along the length of the Shadowcoin River to activate that. You can have boat launches and kayak rentals and all kinds of things in neighborhoods where there's nothing like that right now. Um, so we're getting close. I think with this next round of work in Shadowcoin um, that we're just embarking on right now. Um, the Jamestown section will be clear of debris. Uh, we've been doing a lot of work in Falconer. Um, that's mostly clear. Um, and then there's about two and a half to three miles left that we've been chipping away at a little bit. Um, I'm hoping that some of these county grants can help us with that a little bit more to open it up. So, again, it's a first pass. We still, we're, we're still probably another five or ten years away from all of the ash trees being on the ground and not unexpectedly falling into water again. We'll, we'll still be doing maintenance more than maintenance for some time still but but we're getting closer than we've ever been to actually being able to do this and um when you think about the historic use of the shadowcoin how people used to float their logs from shaqua Lake into the basin through the sawmills in downtown Jamestown through those raceways we were talking about earlier and then just literally floating them down to New Orleans like all the way down the shadowcoin making these big log rafts and people just pulling these things all the way down so it's it's been done Mm -hmm. (laughs) it can be done but it could be done in a a more um recreational recreational way of course like Mm -hmm. i wouldn't want to pull the whole blog of (laughs) (laughs) the blogs down in new orleans but um but the history of the river the stories that come with that you know the native american history that's there the natural beauty that's there there's so much going on there and it's going through parts of the county that now have no way to have any kind of economic benefit from these kind of tourism or recreational activities so i think it would really be able to open up all kinds of economic opportunities for parts of the county that don't benefit from that right now it doesn't just have to be shakua lake it could be a much bigger thing
1: mm. but it's all connected to it's Chicago. all connected absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. wow uh, I, this is really great and, and like exciting conversation here because i had never heard of you know the chateau even the possibility of it being opened to the rest of the waterways in a way that you could where you could Put your kayak in at McCray Point Park, you know, portage around the Warner Dam, and then get back in, and then continue on your way. I've heard that I mean some people that were maybe a little more adventurous, and others they, <laughs> they did it, but they they also would they would post on Facebook and say, but you know, well, I, you know, don't do this if you're not experienced and know what you're doing because you can know you don't know what you're gonna run into. Where now that that's, could be changed and I you know and i I know people who go kayaking all the time down and we're closer you know over to Pennsylvania border in the Kanawha. so it's this is an opportunity to hear about and you know I guess well I guess you say you're definitely crossing your fingers for the state funding to come around this mm-hmm. time around so but uh Twan I just is there anything else that you'd like to add before we go
0: no I think that's a lot <laughs> it's a lot it is a lot
1: but I appreciate you taking the time sure. to come in uh, and and tell us and give us an update and I'm sure that we'll be glad to check in with you maybe uh, in a year or so for now just to see where things are, are and where things have landed so
0: absolutely thank yeah and, and where it gets out so we try to keep everybody posted as much as possible obviously these are these are community resources and the more we can get the community involved in these kind of projects too oh let me add one quick thing really quickly because one of the components that i added to the funding request to city council um beyond doing another pass through the Shadowcoin and also treating retreating the tree of heaven is that um during some of these projects during the time that i'm out there i'm realizing that the Shadowcoin river is so healthy that nature is actually becoming one of our worst enemies. Um, Sadly, well, fortunately, but also unfortunately, um, the beaver populations in our area are skyrocketing and there are so many beavers in the Shattacorn River in Jamestown. Um, And because most of the vegetation along the river banks consists of tree of heaven or other invasives which grow really fast and therefore usually have really soft wood, um beavers are not interested in those because beavers need to chew on something hard to make sure their teeth get worn down otherwise their teeth keep growing and it's not good for them um these are mostly bank beavers we call them they're beavers that don't build a traditional lodge they just live in a big hole under the ground in a bank somewhere and don't build dams they're not damming up the Shadowcoin river They just live there and, and eat um but unfortunately the things that they choose to eat are not the invasive species that we'd like them to take care of, they're actually going for the few remaining large trees that we still have in the city. So um, on obviously is a tree city USA. who are proud of our big trees I and mean, they're spectacular. But they are too part of the work we're doing is doing some tree maintenance because some of these have been neglected and there's dead wood and branches that could split and damage these trees. But now, to add to all of those challenges, the beavers are also impacting these trees. They're actually munching on um, the bases of the trees, chewing the bark off, just chewing the bases of the trees just to, to wear down their teeth and just to eat. Um, but by doing that, they're leaving these trees exposed to diseases and uh, parasites, but they're also, in some cases, like literally killing the trees. Um, and one of the things that hit me this summer when I was working with high school students and we're planting trees, and also, like what I said earlier, like we, once we remove the trees along the north side of the basin and we'll replace them with the biggest trees possible but the biggest trees possible that we can plant are maybe two inches in diameter trunks so you know those are hard to move trees you need trucks and big equipment to move those Um, but they're nothing compared to what we're losing right now because the beavers are damaging these trees so for any of these trees that we plant even the biggest ones plantable um, it'll take Two, two of our generations to reach the kind of size trees that we're losing right now to beaver damage. So, um, as part of the funding awarded to the Shaka Shack Conservancy, we also uh, requested a little bit of money to actually buy chicken wire, just garden fencing because wrapping these big trees, the bases of those trees in just metal screen will discourage the beavers from actually damaging those trees. So rather than standing by and watching the biggest trees that are 50, 60, 70, maybe 100 years old sometimes just slowly dying and then replacing them with the biggest trees we can plant at another expense again, why not protect what we have, right? So if it takes a little bit of chicken wire and some effort, then we can go a long way with that. So. Um, in this summer, we've done some projects with the Jamestown High School students. Uh, I would love to get more people involved. Like I said before, it's a community resource, right? And I would love the community to just embrace this as a resource. And I would love the community to take some ownership. I I've got two kids at home that are you know in high school, and you, know, you just talk to them, you talk to their friends, and just the world's on fire. The climate's going haywire everywhere. And you know, if you're a young person right now, think looking at the future, where do you start? Like, what can you do? So. Well, I have a tangible project that actually makes a difference because if we can protect these big trees, those are the trees that not only protect our banks, that not only filter our water, that not only keep the soil in place, but they're also providing shade, they're providing cooling efforts on cities, and we've all seen it this summer, all these cities that are just so hot, so hot. And the trees are the answer, but it's big trees that are really the answer. Um, so let's protect what we have right here. So um Yeah, expect some call for action or multiple calls for action over the winter when it's a little easier to get to those trees. And uh, I'm hoping that I can get some people to come help just chicken wire up some trees around the city here.
1: How can they reach you if they want to get on a list of volunteers?
0: Um, Just contact the Watershed Conservancy. Um, It's info at shtockawaterShot.org. Or just go to our website and just reach out to us. And we'll be glad to put your name on a list.
1: Twine leaders, thanks for coming in today.
0: Oh, you're so welcome.